two weeks before my sophomore year and I was going to go back to college and everything. And my parents sat me down on our back porch and they asked if, if like, what, it, what, what would I think of taking a leave of absence and moving to San Francisco? <laughs> that was Joe Begale, both talking and playing music in the background. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. Every week on this podcast, you'll hear from musicians, bartenders, artists, and San Franciscans from all walks of life, telling stories, sharing personal histories, and trying to put into words what makes this city so special. Welcome to episode 31, part one. In this podcast, Joe takes us through his life growing up in New York State with music and food always at the forefront thanks to his parents. He talks about his first bands, getting paid to play music, and his very unusual motivation to move to San Francisco. Oh, and yes, Joe's music has been with this show since we started back in October 2017. Thanks, Joe. Where I'm from, it was very cold in the wintertime, um, and that segues to where I'm from, (laughs) which is uh, Rochester, New York. And uh, yeah, I was born there in the middle of the winter and on an ice storm and uh you remember all that of course i remember firsthand this is what i've been told anyway (laughs) and uh um my my parents uh john and moira my dad was um a high school music teacher and uh my mom until i was about 15 or 16 she ran a catering business out of the house so that's that that tells you why I'm into food and why I'm into music. <laughs> um, and I have two older brothers, and uh, both of my parents are very artistic. The other thing that my mom does passionately and uh, and and still does to this day, and actually makes a good a good bit of money doing it, is she's a milliner. Um, which, if you don't know what that is, she sews hats. Yeah, she makes hats. Um, Particularly women's hats, like uh, church crowns, as they would call it. And, uh, you know, she's big during the Kentucky Derby. And she's even had a couple of her pieces in the Met this year, which has been really cool. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, so two creative parents, um, both passionate about food and family. And, uh, And they raised me and my two older brothers in... Well, we started off in uh, an area called Honeyway Falls. We were renting a, a, a little farmhouse, actually. Um, but uh, we moved out of there when I was three years old. But I actually do have pretty fond memories of it from even that young. Um, probably because it was quite a juxtaposition to where we went, which was like in the hood in Rochester, New York, uh, a neighborhood known as the 19th Ward. So we went from being in a very predominantly white country neighborhood uh if you want to even call it neighborhood i don't even recall where our neighbors were (laughs) to being in the hood and being definitely being of the minority in that neighborhood and um you know getting our asses kicked uh on the way to school and getting my bag snatched on halloween and (laughs) yeah (laughs) just kind of learning to be fighters and uh and and be strong and and also the value of of your neighbors and your community and and your family this would have been the kind of mid 80s or yeah yeah mid to late we moved there and i guess it would have been either 85 or 86 okay and uh and then moved out of there in 95 yeah i think it was 95 so yeah we were there until until i was about 11 years old and then we moved 
um, to the suburbs, like completely different place. Uh, and I think the main choice there was just to get us in better schools. Although my oldest brother was already gone and off to college. Um, he had the roughest high school experience. My brother Peter probably had the even rougher experience in, at Frederick Douglass Middle School. That was a really rough place. And I was only in elementary school. I went to number 37 school. <laughs> <laughs> Named after the very famous number 37. <laughs> In my, the honorable. My last year in uh, in the city of Rochester, I started going to school uh, in a suburb called Penfield. Um, and the reason I was able to go to school there is because my father was a teacher in that district uh, at the high school. And so I just I went for one year to a Penfield Elementary School called Harris Hill, mm-hmm. and um, and then throughout that year we were looking for a place to live, and we moved to uh, a suburb that was next to Penfield called Pittsford. And that's where I went to middle school and high school, and uh, and thank thank God we got out there too because the the schools were way better and there was actually a, a fantastic music program, um, still is by the way in 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 a country where public schools and music or or the arts in general seem to be fading away, um, they still really support the arts out there, and so we had you know weekly lessons and. I started on uh, well. I started on the drum set when I was seven years old. That was my first instrument. And uh, by the time we got into the suburbs, I started playing trombone. And that's that's how I was introduced to a lot of uh, concert band and wind ensemble and classical music. But always maintaining the drum set when I wanted to be in jazz band. And then my two older brothers. Well, you want to ask a question? I Just I, I was wondering uh, if your brothers were were involved in music yeah, at all. I kind of just breezed right past that, didn't mm-hmm. I? That's okay. Yeah, you have to slow me down. If I no, no. Going, I'll just start going. <laughs> I want to know how much of an anomaly in your family you were. Well, yeah, so not, you know, th- this is what's cool. So so my brother's, um, my oldest brother is nine years older than me, and my other brother is five years older than me. So I'm very fortunate, and I know that I'm fortunate to be the youngest, because the youngest gets to be the sponge and the youngest gets away with a lot more shit <laughs> you know? and uh and my brothers and i all got into music literally at the same time yeah. i mean we were all uh, appreciators of music and my family spent almost every summer piling in our station wagon and going camping and we would just listen to so much music on those car rides and that our parents would introduce to us what kind of stuff were you guys listening to all kinds of stuff uh, my dad not not radio like Tapes no, and tapes. eight tra- yeah, Okay. Yeah, yeah. My dad would. My we always had a recording studio in the house because my dad was very into music technology, and that's what he he taught in high school. Um, and then he was also a gigging musician too, and he's a drummer too, by the way, and plays a lot of instruments. And uh, yeah, he would he would he would rip his. I guess he would rip from his his records back then onto cassette tape because we didn't have a CD player, and we would listen to anything from. The soundtrack to the movie The Mission. Do you remember that movie with uh, Robert De Niro? Fantastic movie. I think he won an Academy for that. Okay. It's a really great movie about a missionary in um, South America, and the music was scored by uh, the great Italian composer Ennio Morricone, who's famous for the spaghetti western stuff. Um, fantastic soundtrack, and still a very big part of my life. Like it, that music is inside of me from listening to it on those car rides. Uh, but then we'd also listen to Joni Mitchell a lot. Um, we'd listen to Steely Dan a lot. We'd listen to a lot of Steely Dan. We'd listen to um, 
the Beatles. That was another one. And, uh, and then, you know, some of my fondest memories on those camping trips are actually stopping at different record stores along the way. And I remember, I remember this one camping trip when we were all, we went all the way out West, uh, to Montana and we and we went to Yellowstone in Wyoming and I remember being in Jackson Hole we went to this tape store or record store and my dad bought um he bought Toto 4 on cassette and that I must have been 7 or 8 on that trip and that was like a big deal to me like I remember hearing Rosanna for the first time and hearing Africa for the first time and yeah and uh, and then of course my brothers were always listening to what was of the time and it's hard to be a child in the 80s and avoid michael jackson so we listen to a lot of michael jackson that's way uh going back to what you were saying about being the youngest and being a sponge oh yeah i very much relate to because i'm the youngest as well oh, right it's on. like in a way thank god because mm-hmm. i wouldn't know i mean it's not just music it's like comedy movies totally all sorts of stuff yeah same thing yeah my brothers got me into uh, all of, uh, I guess, you know, what we would call urban music, you know, being, being in the city, uh, we were surrounded by hip hop that was being played. And that was really just kind of being introduced to, to the world at that time. So like run DMC, but also, um, the native tongue stuff, well, I guess that would have been a little bit later well it's like late 80s early 90s um but we were listening to like moni love do you remember moni love moni in the middle I know the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh yo-yo <laughs> yeah don't play with my yo-yo you know <laughs> oh, yes. and then uh the ghetto boys which rip yeah bushwick bill r.i.p just yesterday yeah i think two days ago or was that yesterday sunday the reports were overblown he died yesterday Oh, From man. what I read, yeah, yeah. Oh man. Anyway, either yeah, way, Rip Bushwick Bill. Um, and uh, of course we were listening to um, "Fight the Power." Uh, oh yeah, Public Enemy. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> um, and uh, we were listening to Millie Vanilli. I remember that was like a thing, you yeah. know. And before it, you know, wasn't a thing. What about Prince? I'm just gonna. Prince wasn't introduced to me until later, but okay. I, I, my, my first being aware of Prince was was through my brother Peter, who's the middle brother, um, and that was actually while we were out visiting our um, family in Michigan, where we have these very famous barbecues. I've told you about the rib off yes. that we do every summer, and it was during the rib off. Um, I don't know. This is sometime in the mid '90s that we went to a record store as we do in any town that we go to my brother bought um he bought love sexy and parade on cassette tape and so i believe on parade is where kiss comes from um and that was the first time i heard that and and but i always associated that song with love sexy because the cover of that album if you recall the cover of love sexy is like very provocative you know and uh and i just remember being a real young kid looking at it like that's a guy <laughs> like, mm-hmm. holy shit <laughs> right, right. um so pretty <laughs> which he was he was such a pretty dude oh, yeah um so yeah back to like in, in in regards to getting into playing music my brothers and i all got into it at the same time and and it was never forced upon us to get into music i think my parents wanted us to just really discover whatever it was that we were passionate about on our own 
and it just happened that you know my oldest brother started getting into guitar while he was in college as uh did my brother peter while he was in middle school i think my brother peter was probably the first one to really get into an instrument and he had a local uh, guitar teacher that my dad set him up with who was a jazz guitarist this guy steve green and then my brother adrian he uh, started playing guitar while he was in college getting into blues music and also like the jam band scene because um, that's definitely was happening in the early 90s bands like fish especially if you're from the east coast um and then i was in seventh grade and i came home from school one day after seeing a jazz band and i wanted to play the upright bass and my oldest brother adrian was like well peter and i are already playing guitars you should play the drums like, okay <laughs> whatever <laughs> you whatever you say and uh and Adrian, that's another thing about being the the youngest yeah like, you just oh, do, we'll what do whatever they <laughs> whatever they want me to do i just wanted to hang with them you right know? right and uh and so my oldest brother taught me my first drum beat and we went upstairs to my dad's studio and uh and it was just like a simple rock and roll beat where the bass drum played on one and three and the snare drum plays on two and four mm -hmm. and the hi-hat plays all of the eighth notes one and two and three and four and and i learned and i practiced it so hard for so long until i got it and it was actually those drums that are out there in the studio and those are the same drums that i still play to this day my favorite drum set they're camco drums they're very uh they're they're vintage drums they don't make them anymore and those are from the early 60s uh and they're worth a lot of money now and they were worth some money back in the 80s when my dad acquired them um but well they were certainly worth more than what my dad paid for them he bought them at a garage sale for 20 bucks uh, well he bought the bass drum the snare drum and the rack tom for 20 bucks and uh when it came time for me to get my own drum set when i was about 16 and i was really serious about the drums he uh, he said I could have those, but I would have to find a floor tom for them. And I never thought I'd find a matching Camco floor tom. There was no internet back then. Uh, but there was a magazine that somebody at a local music store gave to me called The Not-So-Modern Drummer. And there was classified ads in there. And I found a matching floor tom for that drum set all the way out here in Santa Cruz. Same color and everything. Like, Same. Well, or, I had to refinish it, them. Okay. The uh, the the bass drum, snare drum, and rack tom. My dad and my uncle Ed had already stripped and finished, but they well they never actually put like a lacquer over it. It was just like a nice like wood buffed finish and uh, and this beautiful blonde color. Uh, you know, it's they're made of maple. Uh, and then the drum that I bought from Santa Cruz that was sent to me was a black diamond pearl finish and um maple drums are like really the only drums you can really refinish as far as i know because the the wood isn't um super soft and so you're able to put you're able to you know kind of peel the wrap that's off of it and then put like stripper on it to get all the glue off then you sand it down and so i did that with my dad and then we had to sand down all the other drums too because we wanted them to match and that was a really fun vacation it was uh or like midwinter break, my dad and I refinished those drums just in time for a, a gig I had playing at like a it's like a bar mitzvah or something like that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and now it's like a family heirloom, probably. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, for sure. Or already, if was. my if my son ever wants to get into drums, I I hope that he'll take those. We'll see. You know, maybe they'll be in a museum. <laughs> 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 so yeah, uh, that was that was in high school with uh, when I got serious about drums, but. Um, 
I eventually did come around to the guitar before that to catch up to my brothers. Because when I was in like middle school, it's when Nirvana and all that stuff was happening. And, and I was really deep into Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Stone Temple Pilots and Soundgarden. Those were like my jams. And, uh, and I started my first band when I was in middle school, when I was in seventh grade. And Which the name was? The name was Figment. Yes. Um, and uh, I'd like to say that I understood what that word meant, but it was really named after this character that was like a dinosaur from the um, from Disney World, Orlando. Uh, I don't think they have Figment in in Disneyland. It's like this little dinosaur, uh, imaginary dinosaur, Figment of your imagination. Yes. You know? And we always we had a stuffed animal of it always around the house, and I just thought that name was really cool, and so that's what I called my band. Yeah, it's and like, then when I found out the name, of it, I was like, oh, it's like a figment of your imagination that we're so good. <laughs> it's edgy and nerdy at the same oh, time. Yeah, more it's both. more emphasis on the nerdy. <laughs> I don't think there's any. There's but also ed- edgy about the name figment. <laughs> but also, I mean, what year are we in? It's like I, you know, I don't know that that would have been that dorky back then. Or 90, that would not have been dorky then. It would have yeah. been like, yeah, I'm gonna go see figment at wherever the you yeah. know, local venue. Was. That's it. That's figment right there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there he is. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, man. So I put together a band with other middle school kids that, um, that liked to play rock and roll music. And we played, um, we didn't play any Nirvana, actually. I think it was like, I think we did rehearse some, but our first gig was playing a school dance. And the teachers were not into Nirvana because Kurt Cobain had offed himself. And, uh, and a lot of, if you remember, a lot of kids were following suit, you know, um, and so I think like Nirvana was like banned or something like that, you know. But we did get away with playing. Uh, well, Weezer was kind of brand new. They were a little bit after all that stuff, but still in the same time, that the Blue Album anyway. And so we were covering Weezer, and I remember covering U two, U two of that time, which was the Batman Forever soundtrack, oh, yeah. like Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me. Uh, still a really cool song, but sounds nothing like what you think of U two. And uh, and then we were playing the Beatles. Um, I remember even opening the show with um, "You Can't Do That," because that's when I got into the Beatles. Was that year uh, seventh grade? Because the Beatles anthology documentary came out on ABC that year, ninety five. Five, okay. And uh, and I was fucking obsessed. Yeah. I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to be like those guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we played a lot of Beatles, and then we played Jimi Hendrix, and yes. played Led Zeppelin. And I even went back on the drum set to play the drum solo on Moby Dick. And uh, yeah, we played a school dance. And my first time ever getting paid to do anything was playing music. Nice. Got paid 35 bucks for the whole band. And I, that's, I knew then that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a rock star. Yeah. yeah. I was yeah. going to say you were like, it's middle school, but the like... I'm sure your popularity, you're like, you're, oh, yeah, you're be- a big deal. I became popular in middle school. It didn't last. High school, <laughs> I wasn't popular anymore. Dude, you know? we lived mirror lives, yeah. like, <laughs> 10 years apart. But yeah. I think I was kind of popular because there was, like, some sort of mystique to me because I was the kid from the city, you know? And I would get away with just, like, saying all this bullshit to everybody, like, oh, in gym class, they taught us boxing back in <laughs> the city, you know? Just, like, dumb shit, you know? Yeah. And, uh... Yeah, and then I got busted smoking pot when I was pretty really young. Um, 
just uh, I think I saw that movie Dazed and Confused, mm-hmm. and uh, that came out when I was in sixth grade. And mm-hmm. awesome movie, still to this day, Texas great movie. Horrible influence on kids wow. that are that age. Like you shouldn't be able to see that when you're that age. <laughs> I think yeah. I just finished the Dare program the year before in fifth grade, <laughs> and then in sixth grade I saw that movie and i was like i want to fucking do that i want to party and and i think i smoked pot once and like told everybody about it and then uh, next thing i know i'm getting called down to the principal's office and uh yeah and uh and then then i was all of a sudden the bad boy at school yeah. you know yeah and and then kids were fucking up way more than i was in high school but i always carried this reputation for being a druggie yeah <laughs> and like and i wasn't well, you you got it out of your system. I think so. Yeah, I definitely experimented with it. I mean, I... And 20 whatever years later, and now it's no big deal, legal in a lot of places. Oh, yeah, so totally. There, there I know. It's pretty hilarious. It's not legal back there, though. Right. It's still not. Yeah. Right. It's very frowned upon. And then you didn't you didn't come here after high school, right? It was I did. Directly after high school? No, I went to college for a year. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, in high school, I got... Um, so, I, I should back this up. When I, right before I started my freshman year of high school, at that point I had already played, um, I was I played about five or six different instruments at that point, and uh, and my dad sat me down before my freshman year of high school and said, um, well, he asked me, he was like, well, what do you what do you want to do? Because it seems like you really want to do music, but what what is it going to be? Which is kind of like a, a daunting thing to think about, especially at. 15 years old like i was like i don't know i just like want to play music man you know i don't want to think about college i'm just starting high school but i'm glad he asked me because um it forced me to think about it and i i just decided i, I want to focus on drums because drums was my first instrument and it was definitely the instrument i was most capable of uh you know pursuing longer and and doing more things with and um he said great he's like well if you want to study drums then you need a a proper teacher and uh, we both agreed that he wouldn't be the best teacher for me because he's my dad. Although I probably learned more from him than any other teacher I ever had. Um, but he did set me up with this fantastic drum set teacher who was a former drummer from the Count Basie Orchestra. And um, currently, he still currently is the, the drum set professor at the Eastman School of Music in Rochester. Okay. And uh, his name is Rich Thompson. And so I started studying with Rich uh, towards the end of my freshman year of high school. Um, and then we got, definitely the lessons got more serious after after sophomore year. Like junior and senior year, I was at his place like every week. And he, he really um, opened me up in terms of possibilities of what you can do creatively with coordination. And uh, and just getting me to really understand how to read music. And, and, and I, I understood how to read music from playing trombone, and I understood music theory because my dad was a music theory teacher. Um, but uh, drum set music is, is it can be co- complicated, like looking at piano. There's a lot of music to take in, especially when it gets into the daunting task of sight reading. And, and I knew that I wanted to go to college for music, and I knew that was going to be a part of the requirement in auditioning for schools. Um, and then as I got older in high school, I, I realized that Eastman, which was in Rochester, was the was the number one school I really wanted to go to. It had a fantastic program, and there was all these bands coming out of Eastman um, that were just playing locally, but they were just so influential to me and so 
kind of just outside of the box. And uh, and I would see them play at the local coffee house called Java Joe's, which was right next to um, Eastman. And so that was like a big reason why I wanted to go to Eastman. I just wanted to be a part of that scene. And uh, so I auditioned. F- I auditioned for an audition. You had to like send in a tape. And then um, I don't know how many drummers auditioned that year. Probably like 50 drummers, maybe less. I'm not sure. And then they select... Um, about 10 drummers to come back and audition in person. And then the year I got in, there was three of us that got in. Whoa. And, uh, and it was, it was great. Went to school and met all these incredible people and learned so much. And, and I really loved it. However, at the end of my senior year of high school, I was dating this woman who got me into Erica Badu and another Texas Dallas. Yeah, that's right. Um, and at that point, I had been a jazz snob kind of predominantly in high school, so I wasn't even really checking out the Beatles anymore, even though I was obsessed with them. And, and middle school was like, you know, was the most eye-opening, ear-opening experiences for me. And you know, riding my bike around at garage sales and buying records and for like twenty-five cents a piece and. And it was anything from like Joni Mitchell to Gentle Giant to Yes to Frank Zappa, like I, you know, so I that was like where I got really into everything. But in high school, I got into jazz, and I was like, I'm gonna be a jazz drummer, <laughs> you know. And then I started a band in in high school that played kind of more like funky jazz because I got really hip into um, Medeski Martin and Wood, and and then I was like, okay, well that's cool. I like this. This is funky, and which was starting to get me more interested in stuff I was into when I was younger, like hip-hop music. And then I dated this girl that got me into Erykah Badu, and I was like, oh, man, this is really great. And the album that came out when I was a senior was Mama's Gun, her second studio album. And uh, and that album still to this day is like a major, major influence on me. And when I got to college, I was just being you know, introduced to so much music that I didn't know anything about, whether it was jazz music or like avant-garde music or like you know stuff that was happening in the new york jazz scene like this really free and weird stuff and and then really into classical music and but i was always really into this rhythm and blues music uh, specifically erica badu and uh and one person when i was in their dorm room i think we like were smoking a joint or something and they were like man have you ever heard d'angelo and i was like no i've heard the name i don't know anything about him and they're like you've never heard voodoo and i was like, no <laughs> you know and so they gave me a burn CD and I went to the practice room and just put it on and I was just like fucking floored and and I was like what am I doing here like I don't I'm not going to learn how to make this kind of music here I'm, it's not even like a recording program here and in middle school when I had my first band Figment I would write songs and how I would introduce the songs to my band members is I would make these recordings using either a four track or using that exact eight track, which my dad gave to me last year. That's what I started on right there. Nice. Sticks, eight track reel to reel. And I would play all the instruments and I would even cover like Beatles songs and do my own thing. But I, that's how I would show the band and I could solo each instrument. Be like, this is how the bass goes. This is how the drums go. This is the background vocals, you know. And uh, and I kind of had left that all behind in high school when I got into jazz and you so mean the the recording the recording stuff? recording stuff and just writing songs oh, like okay. being a songwriter right right and uh, I just didn't think I was going to be able to do it and I thought I had a better chance at 
<laughs> I thought I had a better chance of being successful as, at being a jazz musician on the drum set, which is like, you know, it's arguably like the hardest thing in the world to do is to yeah. be a, a successful jazz musician. You know? But you're like 19. Yeah, I'm 19 and uh, and I dream big, man. Yeah. Or as I like to say, I dream wide. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I got introduced to that D'Angelo album, I just realized then and there, I was like, I need to figure out how to do this like i need to figure out how to make records that make me feel this way whether it's funky or not it's just i knew that i wanted to do something like that and i think i never really like told my parents but they could see that i wasn't getting as much out of college as i really wanted and my dad he did his masters at eastman and it was very different uh from when he went to school and i think there was uh, certain things that were kind of rubbing him the wrong way, um, just as an educator. And it was two weeks before my sophomore year, and I was going to go back to college and everything. And my parents sat me down on our back porch, and they asked if, if, like, what, it, what, what would I think of taking a leave of absence and moving to San Francisco? <laughs> Your parents asked you that? That's what they asked me, yeah. Had that thought ever occurred to you? Never occurred to me. That's a new one for this show. Yeah. <laughs> and for me. That's... Never occurred to me, although, I mean, I knew about the music out here. Um, I knew about, you know, definitely the music of the 60s out here, Jefferson Airplane and the Grateful Dead, and that was music I was into in middle school. Um, but they but specifically said, like, to the exclusion of anywhere else? San Francisco. They're like, okay. And the reason they said that was because my oldest brother was living out here at the time. Okay. So I had family out here, and as a as a somebody who wanted to pursue music, my my dad knew that. Well, I didn't really need a piece of paper if I wanted to play the drums. Like I just needed to study with the right amount of people, and the best places to go were major metropolitans. So I could either go to New York City where I didn't know anybody, or I could come to San Francisco where I at least had a family connection, and uh, and I had San Francisco had been on my radar for about six months at that point because my brother had moved out here and I would talk to him like every couple of weeks and he'd call me back and tell me about anything from like the uh like the acid jazz scene that was happening out here so like people like Charlie Hunter and Scott Amendola and that and Will Bernard like the TJ Kirk scene and then uh ALO was a band that was kind of just getting started at that time and they were looking for a drummer and he was like man you should be out here and then my brother was is really into skateboarding he was like man the skateboarding scene out here and 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 i liked skateboarding too and and you know i'd never been to california and and so i'm just he's like calling me from his brand new cell phone in like 2000 or 2001 and, t and like telling me he's like in golden gate park and he's skateboarding and and i'm envisioning it like right next to the golden gate bridge like i don't know anything about this place and uh what i did know is that herbie hancock had made uh, Headhunters and Thrust and all these like majorly influential funk records out here, which were super influential to me going all the way back to like fifth grade because that's what my brothers were showing me. And we were always jamming on like Chameleon and Palm Grease and we would like rap over them because you know, we were into hip hop music. And they discovered that stuff out of my dad's record collection. And I remember in college revisiting the album Thrust um, with my buddy Jared Cohen, who's a piano player, and we were talking about the liner notes on the back where he would talk about uh, this, like, Oakland funk, like this Bay Area funk thing. 
that and he would attribute it uh, to Sly Stone and I was totally into Sly Stone as a kid from watching the Woodstock film and I would even cover I Want to Take You Higher but I only knew the greatest hits because that was the only record my dad had of his in the re- in, in our record collection um, so I was like well if that stuff was made in the Bay Area and my favorite like funk stuff at that time was that kind of linear uh, I don't do you know what I mean when I say like linear it's like it's they're not they're not really hitting um, two and four like backbeats like you would hear on other funk records or rock and roll records they would like they would like they would subdivide all like the 16th notes and and syncopate it heavily like almost like you would hear in like um, uh, like Latin music but it was funky there it but it was like this kind of free jazz approach to it too but it, it was funky like it would make my head bounce and and anything that I got into musically as a kid whether it was jazz or pop music or rock music like it had to make me move um because the first stuff i ever really remember hearing was michael jackson and that just made me want to dance you know and we'd have break dance parties in our house and stuff and i remember my brother even getting a break dance instructor coming for his birthday party you know and so any music that made me want to move and dance whether i was just like tapping my feet or actually like really getting down um that's that's what I was into and then I I just felt like well shit if I go to San Francisco I can you know pick up a phone book (laughs) which is what I did and start learning from different musicians but I can also be closer to this uh this sound that I always always really loved growing up and uh so I stayed in Rochester for that first semester of my sophomore year um and uh, I didn't go back to school. I just waited on tables, saved my money. And in January of 2003, I moved here with 2000 bucks in my pocket. And I stayed on my brother's and his wife's uh, floor, which was actually just down the street at the corner of um, uh, Sutter and Jones. And uh, I, I would sleep out on their fire escape sometimes, too. <laughs> but I would mostly stay on their floor. And it took me about a month, and I got a job waiting on tables at the Park Hyatt, which is no longer here. Now it's the Le Meridian Hotel. And uh, and then that same week that I got a job, I found a place to live out in West Portal um, with some girls that used to go to college with my brother and, and his wife. And so they set me up, which was awesome. And yeah, and I, li- I had a whole floor to myself with a bathroom. And, uh, and one of my roommates was a musician and had instruments. So I had like a little studio spot in the garage and I bought... Pro Tools on my laptop yeah. and in uh, an inbox and I started just like going for it and writing songs and figuring out how to do it and I was only 19 so I, did, I couldn't oh, wow. get into clubs to meet musicians. What all uh, instrument wise what all did you bring out with you from New York? Um, just just my drum well actually I came out here on the airplane with a bass and uh, I had this old fretless uh, Yamaha bass guitar and uh, I needed something and I brought a practice pad with me but I just came out here with a bass and a suitcase and like a book of CDs that I had. And I packed all the rest of my clothing inside my drum set. <laughs> and when I found a place to live, uh, my parents shipped my drums out with the rest of my clothing. And uh, yeah, it's a great, great way to kill two birds with one stone right there. That was Joe Begale, a.k.a. Otis McDonald. Check back Friday 
when Joe will talk about his musical journey in San Francisco since he moved here. Film photography for the show is by Michelle Kilfeather. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to learn about some of the stuff we do besides the podcast. Find all 80 episodes on our website, storiedsf.com, which is also where you can now go to pledge your support for the show. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show for us. Send comments or suggestions to storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and happy 4th of July.